What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. You're listening to The Exchange. Here's today's show. Thank you, Scott. Hi, everybody. I'm Kelly Evans, and here's what's ahead. The Fed says it's transitory. CEOs say it's an issue, and investors are caught in the middle. Inflation will be the key issue to watch at today's news conference with the Fed. We'll discuss that and what else to look out for. Plus, the president expected to unveil a nearly $2 trillion plan this evening, and the key word will be taxes. Tax credits offset by tax hikes. We've got all the details. And what do Ellen DeGeneres, Mark Cuban, Dogecoin, and the lottery all have in common? We'll tell you in today's rapid fire. But we start with the markets and Dom Chu, the donkey, is here for that. totally piqued my interest. I want to know what all of those things have in common. So I will wait and see what happens in rapid fire later on today. But... The part of the market right now that is not on fire is pretty much all of it because it's in a holding pattern. The Dow is down one third of one percent ahead of that big Fed rate decision later on this afternoon. The S&P is pretty much flat. Forty one eighty nine. The last trade there in the Nasdaq composite still above fourteen thousand fourteen thousand oh seventy three just off by about one tenth of one percent. So, again, market steady, almost in a holding pattern ahead of that big Fed rate announcement later on. No fireworks expected, by the way. Take a look, though, at the interest rate complex 10-year Treasury note yields, 1.64%. That's the highest level in about a couple of weeks now. You can see that kind of uptick that we're seeing just here. I would keep an eye, some traders are, on 1.58%. That seems to be an area that the at least the moving average kind of has not dropped behind since about August of last year. So continuing to watch interest rates and the banks as well. And then, of course, the two stocks that are going to be a key focus for so many traders out there later on this afternoon after the closing bell, Facebook and Apple, both outperformers over the last year and specifically this year, neither stock has really done anything to add to the market's dynamic one way or the other. Apple is pretty much flat on a year to date basis. Facebook is up roughly 12 percent. That's in line with the S&P 500. So we'll see if there's any kind of momentum that can be gleaned right now. Remember, the two of the most important stocks in the S&P 500 in terms of market weighting. So we'll see if the well-being of the overall market is affected after today's closing bell. Apple and Facebook, I'll send things back over to you. All right, Don, thank you very much. The Fed's latest decision on interest rates is due in less than an hour, followed by a news conference at 2.30 Eastern time. And all eyes are focused on two words, inflation and transitory. While Fed Chair Powell continues to believe that higher costs aren't a lasting problem, corporate America is not totally on the same page. Take a listen. We've talked over the last month or so about the increased inflation. We're seeing broad-based logistics costs, raw materials. We're seeing that that impact our our business, impact our our view of going forward. The inflation we had planned for, it's going to be more. Not a lot more, but it's going to be more than what we had originally foreseen. We're facing an environment where we just see cost inflation. Um, I don't think that cost inflation will go away overnight. The price increases that we announced today in our baby care, feminine care, and adult incontinence businesses, which go into effect in September, are designed primarily to cover commodity cost increases that are affecting those businesses. 
So you've got the Fed on one hand, corporate America on the other. What should investors do about this divide? Joining me now are Subhaja Rajapa, SockGen's head of U.S. rate strategy, and Julia Coronado is Macro Policy Perspectives president and founder. It's great to have you both here. And Julia, I'll start with you because I don't think you're in the inflation camp. Tell me why you think uh, these price pressures will prove fleeting and, and how fleeting. Well, there's a difference between inflation, which is year after year increases in prices, and a one-time pass-through of supply chain pressures, which we do expect to see some of, and the Fed expects to see some of. But if you're going to see prices rise year after year after year, that's inflation. That tends to have to be not just supply chain-driven or commodities-driven, but a broad-based phenomenon that comes with broad-based wage gains. So that's the more salient question for the Fed in terms of thinking about inflation. And remember, they expect a pop in inflation this year. The question is, will it be repeated next year and the year after? Yep. Uh, and then also keep in mind, Kelly, they want to achieve somewhat higher inflation. Uh, so if we do get a higher run rate, that's exactly what they're trying to get. Yeah. And Subhadra, that's why we always look to the bond market for kind of keeping us honest. And it, it, it does not seem to be suggesting big, lasting inflation pressures. To Julia's point, it says, OK, maybe we're going to get up to 2 percent, but even the 10 year is not there yet. Um, maybe we won't on a, on a lasting basis. It's amazing to me because we're going to hear from the president tonight announcing this you know, plan that's part of Build Back Better. We're talking about two trillion, no, four trillion spent by Congress last year. We've got so far, I think, about six trillion announced in Build Back Better. A little bit of pay for Subhadra, but why are bond yields so unmoved by either the cost pressures we're talking about or some of the spending side on the spending side of the fiscal package? Why why are they just shrugging it off here? So the higher inflation or is being borne out very clearly in the inflation expectations market, i.e. the tips market where 10-year break-evens, for instance, are at 240, above 240 right now. It's really the mm -hmm. highest level inflation break-evens have been in the last decade. Yes, 10-year you know, yields are still quite low on an outright basis, you know, just above 160 right now. But, you know, a lot of the, you know, the recent rally, what was interesting in the bond market is the rally was entirely driven by a decline in real yields. And inflation break even is actually widened. Why? Because there's pressures in, in, the, in the exact, you know, commodity prices are going up. It's exactly the same issues that the CEOs are pointing out to, which is supply side disruptions leading to higher commodity prices. And that's leading break evens wider. So this is a, such a great point, And thank you for making it. Why? Why is it? it, it just let me get wonky for a second. Why is it that the market is telling you at the same time that inflation is going to be 2.4 percent? But the 10-year yield is only at 1.6%. Is it saying that, yes, we're going to have these cost pressures, but that's actually going to slow the economy? How do you reckon all of that? That's actually a very good question because real yields are very low. Term premium, which is, has also declined, and I think that that's part has to do with the fact that the Fed is purchasing assets. Hmm. So I think at some point when the Fed starts sort of you know moving away from asset purchases, tapering asset purchases, then I think there'll be some room for real yields to rise, as well as inflation expectations. And that's really what you want to see in a strong economy, is you want to see both real yields as well as inflation expectations 
start to rise at the same time. And maybe that's why we get these little taper tantrum episodes where all of a sudden they start talking about pulling out of the market and you get this pop in yields where it says, well, we got to take that's a higher term premium or whatever you'd want to call it. All right. So, Julia, let's talk again about uh, the economy over the next kind of six to 12 months. Then do you see Mm -hmm. we have some sort of eye-watering GDP figures we might get for the first quarter. Again, we have a lot of spending that's coming down the pike that hasn't even hit the economy yet. How big is GDP going to be this year? And, and why won't that itself, you know, rising nominal GDP, right, all the wage pressures that we are seeing, I mean, why isn't that likely to last beyond, let's say, the middle of next year? Well, keep in mind a lot of the fiscal support that has been legislated so far is transitory in nature. It's one-time payments, to uh, consumers, to state and local governments. So yes, it will produce a very large pop in growth this year. And more focus is now what is the boom bust dynamic? What comes next? We know there's a big reopening push. It's well supported by fiscal policy and monetary policy. What comes next? How fast do we moderate? What is the underlying trend growth? We know that the demographics are still unchanged or worse than they were pre-COVID, what happens to productivity growth, and then what happens to this Biden fiscal package. I think more than just a little bit of it is is planned to be paid for through higher taxes. So the net impact is really about um, what is the net pay for and then what is the impact on productivity and growth potential? Do we bring people back into the labor market? Do we enhance competitiveness in certain industries or uh, sectors of the economy. So I think there's so many unknowns about 2022 and beyond uh, and a lot of cautions still. All right. Well, I haven't asked you both uh, anything really about the language this afternoon. Am I right to kind of dismiss, Subhadra, that we could hear anything that could really spook the market? I mean, it, it just feels like we can have this conversation, but I doubt the Fed's going anywhere near it. Yeah, no, I think that, that that's absolutely right. We're not expecting any major changes or any policy changes at all at this meeting. I think what I'd be really listening very carefully, uh, or at least reading when, I, when I'm reading the statement, as well as listening to Chair Powell at the press conference, would be if he takes you know baby steps towards uh, suggesting that the market, that the Fed is ready to taper asset purchases sometime in the future. For instance, they use the the, the term, the word uh, words inflection point. Mm. Uh, they might use, uh, you know, words similar to that to sort of suggest uh, that they're getting closer to tapering asset purchases. Any comments on vaccines as well as, you know, improvement in, in the pandemic and how they view risks related to the pandemic as well, I think, could be clues for uh, for when they might taper asset purchases. I'm jotting all of this down, inflection point. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's a good one. All right. Uh, thank you both very much today for a little preview. Uh, we'll see what happens top of the hour and beyond that. Subhadra Rajapa and Julia Coronado, really appreciate it today. Let's turn to the mega cap tech earnings, which continue with Apple after the bell. The company is expected to report record second quarter revenue thanks to surging sales of premium iPhones and other devices throughout the pandemic. But the stock has been slightly underperforming the broader Nasdaq this year. My next guest warns there's little room for error this quarter especially with the ongoing chip shortage threatening what should be a super cycle year. Let's bring in Tim Higgins. He's a reporter for The Wall Street Journal and a CNBC contributor. Uh, Tim, can you sort of dwell on that point for a moment about the super cycle and the chip shortage? Yeah, the super cycle is this this thing that investors have been excited about for uh, a long period of time. It's that that time when the new hottest iPhone comes out and we just see new records and new profits and new sales that are just uh, blow the mind. And that's what we were expecting this cycle. But then COVID happened, right? That threw some questions over, well, was the market going to be there? And Apple has really just knocked it out of the park up until this point. Now the concern is, well, 
you know, what's the second half of its fiscal year going to be like? Um, is Apple going to be able to kind of deliver that second half the way that everybody's models uh, had predicted? So, so, so they'll be looking for signals of how, how excited is Tim Cook about these final two quarters. So what do you think the pandemic impact is on Apple? You know, we're kind of digesting what it is going to mean in the long run for Alphabet. And I think it was Brian Belsky last week who said a lot of investors bailed on tech too soon, thinking the pandemic trade would end and we'd rotate into the infrastructure and the other stocks. But is Apple the kind of company that is going to have longer uh, benefit from some of the pandemic trends like its uh, tech peers than we appreciate? Or are these supply chain issues going to be a headwind? Well, that, that's the question I think a lot of investors are, are wanting to answer today. So far, uh, Apple's clearly been one of the big COVID era winners, uh, you know, fueling sales of iPads and Macs and really, uh, you know, generating a, a new money in ways that investors weren't expecting. Uh, now with the iPhone, the question is, as we go back to a normal world, are, is that money going into the new iPhone? Is that money going towards Apple or is it going elsewhere? I think we see that kind of dynamic in the market today between Google and Microsoft, you know, two companies that both did really well uh, last night, but, you know, Google is being rewarded because of that potential for uh, money going into ads in a post lockup world. And, and that's where I think investors' minds are today with Apple. What's that new world look like for yeah. Apple? And Tim Cook's going to be under pressure to say. So final question, then we have the earnings this evening. We have the Epic trial coming up. We have this, you know, iOS 14 and a half kind of privacy change, whatever you want to call it. Which of those three do you think is the biggest deal in the near term for Apple, for investors? For investors, I think it's it's all about the future of uh, uh, the, the business. It's about what's the next big thing. It's about the next six months. Um, the Epic uh, case could be uh, important for Apple, but I don't think investors' minds are really there yet because it's something that they, they think it could be many years really before it works its way through the courts. Yeah, fair enough. Tim, thanks for now. We appreciate it. And we look forward to seeing what uh, they say after the bell. Tim Higgins with The Wall Street Journal. Coming up, President Biden will also be calling on Congress tonight to pass his $1.8 trillion plan for children and families. We're going to look at what's in it, what may not stick, and the potential impact across markets. Plus, Pinterest is down double digits on slower user growth. Could the post-pandemic world pose a problem for the social media site? Or is this just a needed reset? That's all ahead on The Exchange. This is The Exchange on CNBC. Electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Welcome back to The Exchange. We're just hours away from President Biden's address to a joint session of Congress. He's expected to lay out his $1.8 trillion American Families Plan. It's less than a month after he announced a sweeping $2 trillion infrastructure plan. And the key to making all of this happen will be taxes. Joining me now with more on that front is Dan Clifton. He's head of policy research at Strategus Research Partners. Dan, it's good to see you again. Welcome. Great to see you. Welcome back, Kelly. Thank you. Thank you. So, you know, I was trying to catch up with this announcement today and, and put it yeah. in the context of everything that's been announced. And Dan, from what I can understand, we had $4 trillion last year in COVID mm -hmm. relief. We've yep. had 
the $1.9 trillion stimulus uh, package. We have yep. the 2.3 to 2.7 trillion infrastructure package that was announced last month, and now 1.8 trillion American families plan, and a lot of the tax hikes that have been proposed to pay for this. It was interesting to me, and you point out, for all of yep. this, people seem to love it. There was 70% public approval, according to Pew, of the COVID relief package. Yep. Your political capital tracker shows Biden is off to the best 100-day start of any president going back more than 50 years. Yep. I mean, wh- explain all of that. Well, listen, Joe Biden was elected with a very small mandate, but a very important one. And that was get COVID under control and get the economy going. And here we are, 100 days into his presidency. He's probably going to have the best first quarter GDP of any new president. Definitely going to be very close on job creation because we're creating a million jobs a month. And we're very close to herd immunity, given the number of people that have uh, either had COVID or is now vaccinated. So we're now on the verge of a massive reopening. We just distributed $650 billion to consumers in the first quarter. And I like to say the first quarter was all candy and no spinach. Now that the economy and COVID is coming under control, Biden is now looking for larger structural reforms. And that's really the basis of what he'll be proposing tonight. Two trillion on infrastructure over eight years, 1.8 on the American Families Plan, which is more social policy over eight years, and looking to fill the gaps maybe that we didn't uh, notice before COVID, but more child care, right. more support for family incomes. And this is a massive change, Kelly. This is something that we have not done in more than 50 years since the Great Society. And Biden is making a bet tonight that the the American public are ready for more government after COVID-19. And I think that's a risky proposition, but he's going all in and saying, if now's the time, this is it, and we're going to go make a bet on that. That's really what this debate's going to be about over the next three months. It's a really interesting way to put it. And and again, to your point, I'm surprised that the boldness is really being rewarded right now, both by the public, it seems broadly speaking, and to some extent by the bond market. You can maybe expect stocks to go up on this, but the bond market seems not that moved or concerned. And as I was listening to our prior conversation uh, to start the show, I was thinking to myself, is it because to some extent they think these plans could curb growth, you know, some of it will yeah, act absolutely. as a break on growth. So you have this this weird dynamic where, OK, this, there's going to be a lot of spending, but maybe it kind of curbs growth a little bit in the in the years out. I mean, I, I just wonder if that's part of the reason we haven't seen bond yields go crazy. A- absolutely, Kelly. And let me give you a couple of key points here. The first is that now we're introducing spinach. So if the first quarter was all candy, now we have spinach and those are tax increases. We're going to have more tax increases next year then we're going to have new fiscal spending from infrastructure because that infrastructure takes so long for that money to come out. We're not going to redo the electrical grid system in one year. Second is it's very unlikely that we're going to replace the $2 trillion of stimulus that we did this year next year. So you're going to have this mother of all fiscal cliffs coming at the end of 2021 into 2022. And just to put it in context, we're expected to see the deficit contract by about eight and a half percent of GDP. We haven't really had a deficit reduction of more than 2% of GDP in the last 80 years, just to give you context. And a lot of these plans don't fill that in. And then third, we're raising taxes on the most productive parts of society. We're going to be raising it on capital, which is capital gains and dividends and on corporate income and multinational income. All of those are negative for growth in the short run. And so I think we're going to see some transitory 
growth, some transitory inflation pressures. But we're, I think the bond market's looking out on the other side and saying, how much is this going to be sustainable moving forward? And it's going to take a while for these spending plans to ramp up. And maybe, and this is perhaps where we'll leave it, the difference is also how much of this is going to pass. So the COVID bills have basically exactly. sailed through. Yep. Uh, how much of the infrastructure and now the family's plan do you expect? Uh, let's call that, let's round it to $4 trillion. What do you think is the, the figure that we will actually see signed into law? Yeah, I think we can see something close to two, two and a half trillion dollars of making it through. But I have to tell you that tax increases are going to be pared down. Tonight is an opening bid. And I think there's going to be a lack of appetite when people start seeing the details of what we're trying to do on some of these tax changes. So I think, generally think the plan is going to be pared down. Uh, very different than the COVID package. The COVID package was COVID's an emergency. New president, got to succeed, got to move fast. We'll hold our concerns here in Congress until we get to the next package. Well, here we are. We're at the next package. And you're going to see a lot of infighting between the moderates and the progressives and the House and the Senate because everybody has their views of what needs to get done. Yep. And it's going to be very hard to get the get those plans lined up and, and into one package that can be signed into law. Well, I appreciate you illuminating some of the junctures that we are at. I think from candy to spinach is my main <laughs> takeaway. Dan, thank you. It's good to see you. Great. Thank Dan you. Clifton of Strategus. Coming up after this quick break, media juggernaut YouTube is becoming more and more of a threat to Netflix as revenue soars and eyeballs grow. We will break down the numbers for you. Plus, facing investors with the stock near all-time highs and a big battle with Apple heating up, Facebook has a lot to prove when it reports today. What to expect ahead. Don't go anywhere. Sometimes it takes a different approach to help you unlock your true potential. With Capella University's game-changing FlexPath learning format, you gain relevant skills you can apply to your career right away. Earn your degree from an accredited university and be confident in the quality of your education. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu. Capella University is accredited by the Higher Learning Commission. Learn more at capella.edu slash accreditation. For over 130 years, McCormick has helped you make mom's lasagna to keep her secret recipe alive. Take over taco night. No matter how chaotic your day is. Conquer the bake sale. Even if you get to it last minute. And craft the perfect Sunday brunch. When it's not even Sunday. Because with McCormick by your side, it's gonna be great. Welcome back to The Exchange. Let's get you a check on markets about half an hour before the Fed's latest decision hits the tape. The Dow's down 117 points. As you can see, it's a clear underperformer today, and that's primarily due to negative contributions from Amgen, Boeing, and Microsoft. The S&P and NASDAQ are roughly flat. Here are some of the individual movers. Crude is up nearly 2%, and that has the energy stocks rallying today. Hess up 7.5%. Devon up more than 8%, and Diamondback up more than 5%. And the roller coaster ride continues for new Reddit darling Microvision. The stock soaring on actual news today. Well, I don't know if we call 17% soaring anymore, uh, but it did complete its long-range LiDAR sensor. It's the number one stock mentioned on Reddit by an almost two-to-one margin, according to ThinkNum. So a volatile week it's been for MVIS. And finally, Shopify up double digits, 
nearly 11 percent right now after doubling revenue and blowing past Q1 expectations. Its gross merchandise volume also more than doubled year on year for this platform. Let's get over to Rahel Solomon now for a CNBC News update. Hi, Rahel. Hi, Kelly. Here's what's happening at this hour. Federal investigators have executed a search warrant at the Manhattan apartment of Rudy Giuliani. This according to multiple reports. Giuliani, President Trump's former personal lawyer, has been under investigation for years over his business dealings in Ukraine. A North Carolina judge has denied requests to release body cam video of the fatal police shooting of Andrew Brown Jr. The judge says that the video could harm the ongoing investigation of the incident. He wants the video to remain out of public view for at least 30 days. And researchers have found that wildfire smoke is up to 10 times worse for your health than other sources of pollution. The data comes as the West Coast prepares for another wildfire season. Now, during last year's season in California, experts say that people were breathing in a year's worth of damaging smoke in just one week, Kelly. And more on that tonight on the news with Shepard Smith. For now, that is our CNBC News update for this hour. Kelly, I'll send it back to you. All right, Rahel, thank you very much. Netflix's new competition, Chinese IPOs are all the rage, Dogecoin's network moment, and losing Pinterest. It's all coming up in rapid fire in just a moment. And be sure to tune into a very special edition of Power Lunch tomorrow. Tomorrow, you might know, is the NFL draft. Well, it's also the stock draft. It's back this year, and contestants include NBA star Andre Guadala, supermodel Petra Nemkova, and TikTok star Josh Richards. It all kicks off right here at 2 p.m. Eastern time. Don't miss it. Welcome back. It's my favorite time of day. Let's catch you up on a few stories that should be on your radar. It is time for Rapid Fire. And here to break down the headlines are Seema Modi, Steve Grasso, Director of Institutional Sales for Stuart Frankel and a CNBC Fast Money trader, and Kate Rooney. And it's great to have everybody here. Let's begin with YouTube because what a juggernaut. We started to talk about this yesterday, but the numbers last night really bear it out that YouTube is the world's biggest online video platform. And it, by year's end, it could be raking in just as much cash as Netflix does. Parent company Alphabet reported $6 billion in ad revenue for YouTube last quarter. That's nearly a 50% jump year on year. And if that pace continues, YouTube would book between 29 and $30 billion in revenue this year. That's neck and neck with Netflix. And Alphabet is dominating on the tape as well. It's up 35% so far this year, Steve, while Netflix is down more than 6%. What does that tell you? Yeah, so if you look at the two different business models, Kelly, uh, YouTube is obviously an advertising base, while Netflix is paid off of uh, subscribers. Uh, I I do believe, though, that the pandemic did help uh, YouTube and those advertising dollars. There were a lot more eyeballs there. The same way that it helped uh, Netflix, one is based on advertising, so you're going to gain a, a lot more as far as revenues there. But I, I, I'm a big fan of Google, big fan of YouTube. But if you look back on the stock, yesterday I was, I was actually looking on the technicals on the name. I was looking for a drawdown of about 7%, not, not on earnings, just on movement of the stock. Hmm. Earnings could have went either way, and obviously they traded higher. If you look at a chart on uh, Google, they've had nine checkbacks on a technical basis to the 50-day moving average since July. And they had one in September that was a drawdown of 18 percent. I'm looking for a 7 percent takedown to get get you to that 50 day moving average. Obviously, with the pop today, it's more like an 11 percent drawdown. That's where I think is a good entry. If you can't help yourself, buy a little bit. But I'm waiting for better prices. Okay, And Seema, I mean, again, I 
I don't know if it's the pandemic per se or just I think about how I use TV now. I, I mean, if you could see some of the mm-hmm. YouTube videos I'm watching, it's literally how to wash dishes, you know, because I'm thinking that I just the water is just running and running and this can't be. And, and, and I, I so it's just it's the place I turn when I kind of want to just sit back and watch. And I know that they say they want their videos to be over three minutes long. They don't want short video. They, they seem to be trying to develop this whole ecosystem of really keeping people on the platform when they're in the mood to sit back and watch a lot of content. I think that's key ecosystem. They now have a wide range of content from cooking lessons to how do I wear a sari. I think they've really been able to do that in a a critical way as consumers change the way they consume content. And pretty interesting how it is YouTube that we're talking about here. Founded in 2005, it was a site that started with just amateur videos to now transform itself into a, a site that aggregates and distributes content. Kate, I'll give you the final word on this. I think in the context of Alphabet, this is so important. They are sitting on a boatload of cash. Can't really do M&A because of the antitrust issues. They're looking for other levers of growth. YouTube really is the only game in town. And talk about the ability to raise prices with advertising, the pricing power there for them. They are able to stuff so many ads in a five or ten minute video. But I'm with you, Kelly. I'm a visual learner, so I find myself Googling <laughs> and then going to YouTube to watch, you know, how to do yeah. anything these days. I, 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 anything that I've ever had, like a, a kid's thing that has to be assembled. Or, I, I don't even worry about the instructions anymore. I just, boom, I flip on that YouTube, and it's like, it's such a better experience. Um, but I think your, your point about pricing power is, is exactly right. I think that's where if investors are watching for, for any buzzword today, it's got to be pricing power, and they certainly have it. All right, let's talk about what's going on in the Chinese IPO market as well. There's been a rush of firms going public here, and this is amid so much back and forth between the U.S. and China over this. Companies from both mainland and Hong Kong have raised more than $6 billion through U.S. IPOs. It's a record start to the year, despite all of these lingering tensions, Seema, including the threat of Chinese firms being ousted over national security concerns. So, why, is there a sense that, hey, we better go now before things worsen? Or is it, hey, the Trump administration is out, Biden's you know, going to treat us friendly? Or what do you think is driving this? Sure. Well, I think two things. One is U.S.-China tensions have been escalating for years now. And the first bilateral meeting between the United States and China under the Biden administration didn't go as well as expected. But delisting wasn't a topic that came up. Plus, you have a very hot IPO market and investors in an environment where they're chasing growth. Last week, China reported a year-over-year GDP growth of 18 percent. And during the pandemic, remember, this was the only country that posted positive year-over-year growth. So in terms of uh, investors looking for that type of story, they're going to get it with these Chinese companies. And with that delisting risk, sort of just a risk, not really something that is, seems to be actively discussed, uh, it looks like they're willing to, to yeah. come over here and list. So, Steve, I'll give you just a quick final word on this. Would you be, a, a generally sure. speaking, a buyer or seller of Chinese IPOs here? Well, Look at it this way. Even if they delist, it's not going to be a process where on a Monday you come in, Tuesday those they aren't there. There's going to be a certain amount of time frame to do that delisting process. And they do have the backup, as you started with the uh, lead on the story, of going and listing on the Hong Kong exchange. So I wouldn't exactly run for the hills. I think you're OK here. And I think there's a lot of green between now and the day if and when 
they were to delist. Very interesting. That does tell us that the, that is a, a big mentality shift. All right, let's move along to the crypto headlines, which never seem to stop or disappoint. First to the serious, the SEC saying today it will delay its decision on approving the Vanek Bitcoin ETF until June. People had high hopes with Gary Gensler taking over as the SEC chair that that would move along, while Capitol Hill is examining the risks and rewards of that kind of investment vehicle. Investors are still betting on crypto all kinds. Dogecoin up 20 percent in the past day after, I mean, Mark Cuban spoke about it on the Ellen DeGeneres show. Listen. I wouldn't say it's the world's best investment, but it's a whole lot better than a lottery ticket. And it's a great way to learn and start understanding cryptocurrencies. Kate Rooney, what does the crypto community think about all this? (laughs) You have Elon Musk calling himself the Doge father, which (laughs) sparked sort of a viral campaign on Twitter. Anything that he says surrounding Dogecoin seems to spike the price. But I think Mark Cuban has a point. So we say it spiked 20 percent. It's trading at 36 cents. So if you're going out, you're buying one Dogecoin for fun. The risk there doesn't seem to be too high. And the upside is that you might, it's sort of seen as a gateway in some cases in the way that Mark Cuban's describing it to investing and understanding cryptocurrencies. So if there are people out there saying, all right, this is fun. I want to get on the bandwagon. They're not putting their life savings into Dogecoin. I think he's got a point. I think it could be a good thing for the investing ecosystem and for cryptocurrencies. Steve, what about the SEC's decision here to delay a decision on the Bitcoin ETF? You know, you, you just might have thought, I could see sort of two justifications for this. On the one hand, if they have a, a vehicle like this, it might keep people in, you know, in more of the mainstream, so to speak, where they want uh, exposure. On the other hand, they might just think that this kind of structure is simply too complex for something like Bitcoin. And in the past, a headline like this might have sunk Bitcoin, but now it, it doesn't even <laughs> seem, seem to matter or register. Yeah. I- yeah, I, you know, everyone knows that uh, that Bitcoin is becoming more acceptable. Bitcoin's becoming more acceptable to the sell side banks, to all these major banks, to a lot of different funds, to a lot of different corporations. We hear it. It's it's really transcending every different uh, investor base that you could possibly imagine. So having said that, though, I do believe that there's still some regulation uh, uh, headwinds that are coming forth. But to your point, it's becoming so acceptable now. People have, have said Bitcoin is, is sort of their, uh, I don't want to say their father's uh, cryptocurrency, <laughs> but, but it's, so, it's so mainstream now that they're going <laughs> further out on the spectrum or whatever it is. That actually helps Bitcoin become yeah. more legitimate. So it's, it's definitely a tailwind. All right, let's talk some earnings before we have to go. First, what happened last night with Pinterest. The shares are selling off despite reporting a strong first quarter beat. User growth in the U.S. has been dipping as the economy reopens. The company warning, quote, starting in mid-March, the easing of pandemic restrictions slowed U.S. monthly average user growth and lowered engagement year over year as people spent less time online. Shares are down about 14% since yesterday. Seema, again, I mean, hard to think this is a bad thing. It just might be a problem for Pinterest. Yeah, interesting, though, because remember those comments from Whirlpool CEO last week where he said that uh, even as restrictions ease, the prioritization of the home is not going away. Consumer behavior, it's not going to change overnight. Well, this data or this report from Pinterest suggests that consumer behavior is, in fact, changing. They're spending less time online. We're perhaps not obsessing about our work from home office or learning how to frame and all the other DIY projects that we were working on at home. So we have, Steve, uh, Pinterest down 14%. You can buy Apple before the earnings. Which stock would you rather? Oh, would I rather? Well, I, own, I do not own Pinterest. And, I, and, and 
For Pinterest, the user growth is more important than revenues, so I would not be a buyer of Pinterest. I am an owner of Apple. I actually thought about buying more into the print. That services uh, uh, revenue is just shy of $54 billion, Kelly. Can you imagine? They got to $54 billion in wow. services. That's going to grow. And with AirTags now, latest, greatest, and I know you saw my Twitter this <laughs> You're morning. You're just saying that because it would have helped start, you find your cat. I, exactly. I want to start slapping these on, do something with Chewy, do something <laughs> with, uh, on a pet scale, because these are going to be excellent, excellent things to find your pets, find everything else along the house. But I would be a buyer of Apple. I am. And I'm looking for a 180 price target on Apple. All right. Kate Rude, I'm going to give you the final word here on AirTags or otherwise. <laughs> I would also like an air tag for my dog. I think on Pinterest, if you, th- you think about the ad revenue that we saw with uh, Google this week and Alphabet, Pinterest has such a unique look into a consumer. You really go to Pinterest for searching for things that you want to buy. They've got such a great overview of sort of what the consumer can buy. If they can execute on that ad-driven model and try to kind of, I mean, it's not necessarily advertising, but sort of moving people into different directions uh, prompting you with, oh, you want to maybe look at a throw pillow? Here's one to buy. Yeah. It seems like they're not quite there yet. They're sort of moving in that direction. And Julia Borson made that great point that if they can start shifting you from just looking at, you know, couches or pillows or interior decorating or to actually buying and getting a slice of that, I think that's a huge opportunity. And I'm looking at a couple people on this panel. I'm thinking about the wedding interest in, in this year. The, this would be this huge rush. And the fact that that hasn't yet offset the pandemic, you know, uh, drop in engagement is very interesting to me uh, on the Pinterest front, but I will leave it there. Thank you, everybody. Seema Modi, Steve Grasso, and Kate Rooney in Rapid Fire today. Coming up, we're only about 20 minutes away from the Fed's latest decision on rates. According to one top strategist, there are three big Fed fears out there. He'll tell us what they are and the one he thinks investors should focus on. And take a quick look at shares of Enphase Energy. This is the worst performer in the S&P today after disappointing guidance. The solar energy player is on track for its worst day since last June. It's down almost 15%. We'll be right back. Welcome back. The Fed's Fed's next move on interest rates is coming up at the top of the hour. And my next guest says inflation is a concern, but it's not at the top of the Fed's priority list, at least for now. So what is? Let's welcome in Brian Belsky. He's the chief investment strategist at BMO Capital Markets. Brian, what are you listening for then? I mean, if if everyone I'm listening for the inflation stuff. Well, you just like everybody else. I mean, remember during the climb to 2%, everybody thought we're going to go to 2% uh, and beyond when the momentum was clearly in that direction. But a funny thing happened. Bond yields uh, rolled over. And I think it's one of these stories that people are not paying enough attention to. And we just still think that the Fed's primary concern absolutely positively is COVID-19 coronavirus and in the return to normalcy. And so we would say COVID over employment and employment over inflation. Well, you know, to use the old adage, uh, uh, Goldilocks and the three bears, uh, those are the three bears that uh, I think that they're worried about. Bear number one, COVID risks, bear number two, inflation and bear number three, employment. But I, I have to stop at this bolded text I see. and I say this man can't possibly have said this. I must ask him. He said, no signs of wage inflation. You really you just, you see no signs of, of real wage inflation out there? Kelly, if you go back to January, February of 2020, uh, we had a sub for, sub four percent unemployment uh, and no real substantive wage inflation. Now, if we do see a federal uh, uh, minimum wage, 
we actually think that could hurt small businesses and you're going to see unemployment go up. I think no one's talking about that. So I think we're not going to see any kind of, of consistent wage inflation, Kelly, for several more quarters, if not years. And I think that's the Fed's ammo not to do anything until well into 2022, if not 2023. Basically, you're saying we were at we were below 4 percent unemployment in 2020 before the pandemic. And we didn't really have wage inflation then. But it, I mean, it was there. It wasn't like we didn't have it. It just wasn't popping, wasn't accelerating. It was kind of accelerating. Right. But now you have such a different labor force. So it's obvious that all of these signing bonus and different things are, are being used to pull people back in. We're going to have that happen, at least on a fleeting basis. We are. And it's just like the, the whole notion of the transitory inflation, Kelly. It's a wonderful point. And as you know, I mean, we're having a hard time finding people to work in the service industry, yeah. whether or not it's restaurants, bars, hotels. And so clearly wages are going to have to go up. But again, remember, uh, the biggest part of, of the wage side of things are those white collar jobs uh, in, the, in the more business jobs. And, and we've seen we have not seen a big in, an inflationary uh, stance there and trend for a long, long time. OK, final question. So we know inflation break evens. We were talking about this top of the show. They're back at kind of a cycle high, 2.4 percent this morning. What does that mean for the stock market? What does this whole discussion mean for the stock market? If anything, does it imply rotation? Are there certain sectors that are problematic or is it just full speed ahead? I think it's full speed ahead longer term, Kelly, but I think the next couple of months could be choppy, especially given how uh, strong the market's been. But that's why we've been advocating all year long uh, for equal weighting small, mid and large and growth and value. Again, as you said, you mentioned earlier, we said that too many too many investors got out of tech too soon mm -hmm. and they missed this trade. Be diversified across sectors by the best high quality sectors, by themes. And remember, the stock market is a market of stocks and you want to be an active investor in times like these. You'd be buying Boeing here? We would be. We own Boeing in, in a lot of our value and cyclical portfolios, and we love consumer discretionary in financials this year. Over the long term, if anybody wants to listen to a three- to five-year call, <laughs> our favorite sectors are technology, communication services, and consumer discretionary. All right. Brian Belsky, thank you, sir. We appreciate it thank today. Thank you. Uh, Talking the market before this Fed call. Still ahead, Facebook numbers are out after the bell, and investors are looking for engagement as the economy reopens. Will it soar like Snap, or will it flounder like Pinterest? That's next. Welcome back. Believe it or not, Facebook is on pace for its longest daily winning streak since January as it gears up to report earnings today. The stock is up about 12 percent this year. It's more than doubled from its pandemic lows. And Julia Borson is here with some key numbers to watch. Hey, Julia. Well, Kelly, despite economic uncertainty and regulatory scrutiny, Facebook is expected to grow its revenue 33 percent on 38 percent increase in earnings. Now, user growth will be in focus as a reflection of whether easing of pandemic restrictions is helping or hurting both engagement and user growth. The company is expected to add 30 million daily active users to 1.89 billion and 60 million monthly active users for a total of 2.86 billion. Now, investors will be watching carefully for commentary on a couple of things. Momentum around online shopping, the potential for new creator and audio tools. Zuckerberg announced Creator Shops yesterday in a marketplace for matching creators and branded content, as well as, of course, the impact of Apple's operating system change, which will limit Facebook's ability to target ads. Stiefel with a buy rating on the stock writing, quote, we believe Facebook's advertising business will eventually benefit from Apple's changes to the detriment of smaller publishers. 
Analysts will be looking to see if the company changes its guidance for expenses for this year and whether it'll start to release revenue numbers around its individual apps, Kelly. Do you think they would actually talk about what's happened in the last couple of days with the iOS change? I don't know. I mean, people are already opting in and out. It'll be really interesting to see whether they'll give us any indication from the first two and a half days of having that operating system change out there. But Kelly, I would also suspect that they've probably been polling users and trying to understand how people are planning to behave when they get that that option of opting in or out of ad targeting. I haven't gotten the update yet. Have you? You know what? I, I haven't yet because I haven't been using Facebook on my phone. Um, but well, I, I don't know. I haven't decided yet. I, I kind of want to opt out just to see what how different the experience feels. Yeah, but see, for you, it's different. You can call it journalism. You know, you can they, this, you you gotta, you gotta what do you call it? Market checks, your due diligence. You know, uh, we'll see what everybody else decides. Exactly, Julia. Thank you for now, our Julia Borston. That does it for us on the exchange. We're just moments away from the Fed decision. I'll join Tyler Matheson for that on Power Lunch after this quick break. You've been listening to The Exchange. Make sure you're subscribed to get each episode every day, same time, same place. Sometimes it takes a different approach to help you unlock your true potential. With Capella University's game-changing FlexPath learning format, you gain relevant skills you can apply to your career right away. Earn your degree from an accredited university and be confident in the quality of your education. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu. Capella University is accredited by the Higher Learning Commission. Learn more at capella.edu slash accreditation.